describes you as being the only one in heaven that we can go to, that we can sing our praise to, uh, offer our, our prayer of adoration or thanksgiving, but also that, that you hear our prayers of, of God distress or, or anxiousness. And God, I, I pray that we would be a people that would honor you for who you are, but also look to you for our, our purpose, our strength, our comfort in this life, that we would not be distracted by what we see and touch, uh, what we feel here on earth, but that you would be our satisfaction and you would be the source of our peace. Amen. Well, good morning. How y'all doing this morning? It is cold. If you're new with us, my name is Jeremy Alford. I'm one of the elders here. I serve as your family pastor, and we're going to spend the bulk of our day today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to go ahead and turn there. <clears throat> I got a bit of a tickle in my throat, so you'll have to forgive me. Today is a new day, isn't it? And it is different in many ways. Obviously, it's the first Sunday without our senior pastor. But this particular Sunday is also the same as all of the others in many, many ways. And so I wanted to start by reading Psalm 118, verses 22 through 26. I know you're in 1 Corinthians 12, so this will just be on the screen behind me here. Psalm 118 says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. <clears throat> it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Now, we may be entering into a time of transition, and there may be changes coming our way, but rest assured that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Psalm 118 says that Jesus is the cornerstone of our salvation, that he is the Messiah King who was sent by God above. And while nations and even religious leaders may reject him, we know. The church knows that God will establish his kingdom and that he will build his church upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that I want to tell you today is that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We don't need to be worried. We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be concerned. Let us rejoice let us be glad because Jesus is our cornerstone and today is his day. Now as we get started, I want you to know as a church that we have no plans of becoming idle until the next senior pastor tells us that we can continue in ministry, right? We have no plans of, of waiting around until the next guy kicks us with his spurs and tells us to get in gear, 
No, there's work to be done right here and right now. And the good work of Jesus Christ is not over. And the gospel is not going to take a back seat to anything. The mission of the church does not change with the departure of one man, no matter who that man is. <clears throat> you see, there are still lost people in our community. Our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family. And they desperately need to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And collectively, we need to be ready to share the gospel with them. There are still people fighting for hope in the midst of deep emotional and spiritual pain. And we, the church, need to be offering the hope of Jesus to these people. God is still healing marriages. He's still restoring broken relationships. And we need to be ready to celebrate with these people and to praise God for the good work that he's doing. This is still the day that the Lord has made, and we still will rejoice and be glad in it. And seeing as that this day, the Lord has made this day, is a Sunday, I thought maybe it would be beneficial to highlight why we can rejoice by emphasizing what the church is and what makes the church unique and beautiful. And so that's the plan for today to highlight what the church is and why it is beautiful and unique. Now, I hesitate to give you such a, a, a basic definition of the church, but said most plainly, the church is a group of people that are in Christ and Christ is in them. We are a group of people that are in Christ and Christ is in them. We're not just a group of religious people who gather together once a week and we enjoy some music and a public speaker. We are a group of people who are united together in Christ and we share the same life. We belong to the same Lord. We are filled with the same Spirit. And our function is to change the world by exalting and magnifying and lifting high the name of Jesus Christ. There is no one and nothing else in the world that is worth exalting above everything except Jesus. And that is the cry of the church. That is the cry of this church. Jesus above everything. And so turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. We're going to dig into what the church is. Verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. You see, in this one verse, you see the, the word body mentioned three times and the word members mentioned twice. And if you read from verse 12 to the end of the chapter, you're going to see the word body 19 times and the word member nine times. And so this whole passage is about the church being the body of Christ and the body being made up of individual members who are following Jesus. Now it's likely, perhaps, that we're a little too familiar with this passage and it's lost some of its beauty, some of its wonder. It says in this verse, it says, for just as the human body, so it is with Christ. For just as 
so it is. And this is incredible because God wants us to understand the church so much so that he gave us all a visual aid to literally live in and to walk around in and to examine so that we can better understand the church as the body of Christ. Now notice with me that Paul does not say, for just as the body is, so it is with the church. That's not what he said. That's because the church and Christ together constitute the body of Christ. Now, we would more commonly say that Christ is the head of the church and that the church is the body of Christ, with the head being the leader of the body. And this is, this is an amazing illustration because it demonstrates how strongly Christ is identifying with his body. Now think about it with me. These are my hands. You have hands, I have hands. These belong to me. In one sense, you could even say these are me. And if they become unattached from me, I would look at them and I would be screaming, my hand, my hand, you cut off my hand, that's mine. I so strongly identify with my hand that even if you cut it off, I would still be identifying with it. That's mine. It's a strange illustration, I know. <laughs> it's odd. Please don't miss the heart of the illustration. Jesus is saying, you are mine. You are a part of me. You are a member of me. I am united to you. And, and you, the church, are the primary means by which I will function in the world. You are how I will accomplish my work, says the Lord. And that makes the church completely unique and different than anything else in the world. There is no other organization or group of people that can say that they are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Only the church can say that. Only the church can say that we are an extension of Jesus. And then the next verse takes us even deeper. Verse 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so the spirit of Jesus is what makes us one body. Every born-again believer has the spirit of God, and through him we are unified and we become one. It doesn't matter who you are, Jew or Greek, slave or free, all were made into one because of the spirit. And again, this is powerful imagery Jesus is saying we are united with Christ and we are united with his spirit. Now God's word tells us that when we become a follower of Christ, that he comes to live in you. John 14 verse 20 says, When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. 
Now, this unity with Christ is the power by which we are to live. It is the power by which we are going to move forward into 2023. That we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That's how we move forward with that understanding. So let me read just a few verses to, to reiterate this truth. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, it says that Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Don't miss this. Christ is in you, and not only is Christ in you, but you are in Christ. How many of you are familiar with those Russian nesting dolls? Several of you? Well, the idea is that one doll fits inside of another doll, which then fits inside of another one, which fits inside of another one. That's the imagery of what's going on here, that you are being placed inside of Christ, and so you are nesting inside of Christ, and then inside of you is more Christ. You are completely surrounded by Jesus Christ. You are in him, and he is in you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And then one of my favorite verses, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's what the church is. A group of people who are in Christ, and Christ is in them. And knowing that, knowing who we are makes all the difference. Knowing that we are in him and he is in us will empower us to rejoice in the day that the Lord has made. It doesn't matter what challenges are going to come our way, because this knowledge changes everything. We know that 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us that we have an adversary, that, there, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We know that John 10, 10 tells us that the thief comes in the night to steal, kill, and destroy. We know these things. We know that there is an enemy who is licking his lips right now and will have nothing more than to harm this church. He wants to discourage us. He wants to break us down. He wants to distract us. And I, I don't know his exact plans. I don't know exactly how he plans on doing that, but I know that he will do everything in his power to stop us. But we are completely surrounded by Jesus, both on the inside and on the outside, which means that when the adversary comes, he has to get through Christ to get to me because I am in Christ. And he doesn't have a very good track record there. There was this one time 
when Satan thought that he got through Jesus. But then it didn't work because three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, defeating the enemy, crushing the serpent, crushing our adversary. And even if the adversary was able to get through Christ, which he can't, he would still have to deal with the supernatural Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ that is within us. It's not looking very good for him when we are in Christ and he is in us. And so no matter what comes our way, you have nothing to fear because you are being kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. Be encouraged, church. The challenges in this life, the challenges in this church will not overcome the cornerstone of this church. So let's go deeper into who the church is. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? We often partner that verse with a verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, which teaches us in the context of sexual immorality that, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you are not your own, and that you have been bought with a price. And so we begin to think, like, wow, wow, like I am the temple of God. My body is the temple of God. And this is amazing, and, and it's true. But I want to read for you chapter 3, verse 16 again, but this time in the amplified version and see if this gives us a little bit of a different understanding. It says, Do you not know and understand that you, the church, are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells permanently in you collectively and individually? Right? So when it, when it says that you are God's temple... It's plural. It's plural. He's not talking about God's spirit in individual believers, although that is true. He's talking about God's spirit in all of us, in, in the church. And so, yes, you are in Christ and Christ is in you, but we are the church and Christ is in us and we are in him. If you zoom out and you look at 1 Corinthians 3, you'll see that the whole chapter is addressing divisions in the church. <coughs> really, the whole book of 1 Corinthians was written to give advice on divisions in the church. There are different people who are tempted to get into different camps and different groups. Now, it seems to me that not having a senior pastor flings the door wide open for potential division. Some people might say, uh, I, I don't like how Todd did that, or I don't like how he said that. And then somebody else is going to say, whoa, 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 I cannot believe that you would talk about him like that. Or somebody's going to say, hey, our next senior pastor needs to fit this kind of profile. And then the next person's going to say, no, that's not what we're looking for. Or, or somebody's going to say, hey, what about this one program? We should start this program, right? It's a good program. And somebody will say, that's a waste of time and money. We don't need that program. We need this other thing over here. It seems likely that there's a potential for division. And that we will have moments where we become tempted to divide. 
And God is thumping us on the back of the head with 1 Corinthians chapter 3 saying, what are you doing? Have you forgotten who you are? It's as though God is asking us today, do you understand that my spirit dwells in all of you together, collectively and individually? Have you forgotten your identity as the body of Christ? Because when we understand who we are, it's going to change the way that we relate and interact with one another. It will change how we move forward. We will not work towards division in the body. Instead, we will care for one another. We will intentionally bear the burdens of one another. We will pray for each other. As Todd said last week in his final sermon, we will love one another. This is the picture of the church. This is who we are. A completely and totally unique group of people who live in such a way that everything about them exalts and lifts high the name of Jesus above every other name. There is no community in the world that is like the church. Other groups unite under the banner of some platform, some ideology, some worldview, or, or, or some charismatic leader. But the church is united under the banner of Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you who Jesus is. Who is the head of the church? Well, the Bible says that he is the name that is above every other name. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He is the bread of life. That Jesus is our creator. He is our sustainer. He is our deliverer. He is our everlasting father. That Jesus is our promised Messiah. That he is the good shepherd, the great high priest, the holy one, the image of the invisible God, the judge of the living and the dead that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he is majestic and mighty and that no one compares to him, that Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth, that he is the power of God, that he is the resurrection and the life. He is our all-sufficient Savior. He is our supreme sacrifice, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we exist to exalt his name above everything else in this life. Thank you. He is the one who makes the church beautiful. He is the one who makes us unique. He is the one who is leading our church. And now, more than ever, we need to guard this truth. We are the body of Christ, united under the headship of Christ, and together, we are the church. That's who we are. Now, what makes us beautiful? What makes us unique? Well, the first thing I want to highlight is that we exist by God's design. We exist by God's design. Look at verse 18 with me out of chapter 12. And then we'll go back and we'll look at the rest of it. But I just want to start by first zooming in and highlighting just this one verse. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, 
as he chose. So it says that God is the designer and creator of the human body. And as this whole passage is an analogy for the church, that means that God is the designer and creator of the church. So what makes the church beautiful and unique? Well, God does. Of course, it's God. With very careful precision, very careful intentionality, God put us all together, just right, so that we might function and fulfill the purposes of our Creator. That means that you live where you live, and you attend church with the people whom you attend church with on purpose. It's not an accident. God put us all together for the good of the body, for the good of the whole. You, as an individual, are indispensable. You, as an individual, were arranged very carefully as to present the church as beautiful and unique. It's not an accident. It's by design. And so that's the first thing that makes the church beautiful and unique, is God's design. The second thing is our differences. We're different, are we not? Paul says something that is rather counterintuitive in our culture. He says that our differences are actually good, that they are essential to the functioning of the church. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 20, tell us this. It says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We are different from one another. And this is part of what makes us unique and beautiful. We have different ideas, different backgrounds, different experiences, different ages. And our differences do not pull us back. They actually push us forward. Now, imagine if the foot could talk and it says, well, I can't do all of the things that the hand does. It's so flexible. And it's hooked onto that long arm and it's just so useful. It's awesome. I mean, I can't wiggle my toes the way that I can wiggle my fingers. Therefore, I don't know. I just don't really belong. I'm not like the hand. I don't belong to this body. That sounds ridiculous. <laughs> and if the ear says that it doesn't belong because it can't see like an eye can see, we would say that's absurd. Likewise, Paul is saying that every part of the church is important even though we're different from each other. And in order for us to work the way that we should, we need everyone to do their part. There are no insignificant members of the body. And if you think that you're insignificant, perhaps it's because you have a wrong understanding of what the church is. Perhaps your idea is that the real work of the church is putting together some service on a Sunday morning. 
And if that were the case, then maybe you'd be justified in your thinking that, well, I don't ever talk. I'm not really that instrumental in putting together this Sunday morning meeting. And, and so maybe you'd be justified. But that's not the work of the church. That's not the primary work. The real work of the church happens elsewhere. You, first, the work of the church is going out there into the community and reaching the lost with the gospel. Second, it's a younger generation who is humbly learning wisdom and godliness from an older generation. Right? Third, it's a people who refuse to neglect the poor and needy. A people who absolutely will take care of the orphan and the widow. You see, our differences actually help us when it comes to those things. Because we all have different relationships and we have different conversations throughout the week. Therefore, we can spread the gospel more effectively in our community. We all have different ages. We have different backgrounds, different educations. We have different levels of godliness even. Therefore, we can better prepare and train up one another for the ministry. We all have different capacities when it comes to benevolence. Some can cook a meal. Some can open up their home and give a place to sleep. Some can write a check. Therefore, we can better minister to the poor and the needy and the orphan and the widow. Church, do you, do you see it? Our differences help us. Our differences are a good thing. And Paul continues with this idea in verse 21. He says in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, with which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another." Now think about the human body with me for a second because that's the imagery of the church that's going on right now. I came across this illustration, so this is not completely unique to me, but I did fact check it, okay? So the human body has over 200 bones that are ounce for ounce stronger than steel. So one cubic inch of bone theoretically can bear the weight of 19,000 pounds, which is roughly five pickup trucks. Our bones are linked together with 900 ligaments and 4,000 tendons to help them move. And a lot of those bones are in your feet where you also have 8,000 nerves. Now, you're obviously attached to your legs, which help you to stand and walk and dance. I thought this was interesting. This guy by the name of Mike, Michael Flatley from Riverdance Back in 1999, he insured his legs for $40 million. I don't really think my legs are worth $40 million. But I, I digress. Your legs are attached to other parts of your body via your torso, which protects your internal organs, including your, hearts, your, your heart, 
your lungs, and your kidneys. Your heart pumps around 100,000 miles of blood vessels throughout your body, which can get you almost halfway to the moon. Then coming out of your torso are your arms and hands, including your fingers, and your palms have tens of thousands of touch receptors. And then we all operate according to the direction of our brain. We're about 100 billion neurons travel at speeds of 250 miles per hour, which is about how fast the Venom GT went when it first set a world record. Your head, of course, includes two eyes, two ears, a nose, a mouth, and they all work together to create sight and taste and touch and hearing and smell, which makes the human body arguably the most fascinating thing on planet Earth. So what's the point? God is saying, I made your body that way, that I did that. 100 billion neurons in your brain, 8,000 nerves in your foot, like that was my idea. God is saying, I, I did that and I created the church the same way. That you are beautifully complicated and that everything works together, but not everything is the same. And you are beautiful by my design and that you should embrace the differences within one another. And then lastly, the church is beautiful and unique because we exist for a mission that is larger than any one of our lives. We exist for a mission that is larger than any one of our individual lives. Every week when we walk into this room, we are reminded that we're part of something bigger. Let me, let me give you a two-fold explanation. First of all, we are here to care for one another in a world where pain and hardship and confusion is inevitable. Let me read for you again verses 24 through 26. It says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And then verse 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You see, the church should be so tightly knit together that we experience life as though we are walking in each other's shoes. I think that mothers and fathers probably understand this idea best. Time and time and time again, my mother has said, when you hurt, I hurt. And you know what? I believe her. I've seen it. She's just crying because I'm crying. She has no reason to be sad, but I'm sad, so she's sad. I think that we all understand what is being said in verse 26. But do we understand that God applies the empathy that a mom and dad feel with their children to the church? That that's the type of relationship that we should have. If one of us is suffering, all are suffering. 
if one of us is honored, we are all rejoicing. It's a beautiful picture of belonging to something bigger than yourself. And then the second explanation comes from the last paragraph of the chapter, where Paul translates his imagery of a human body into specific roles within the church. So instead of saying that we are composed of a hand or an ear or an eye, he says that the church has been given different individuals with different gifts. That some are apostles, some are administrators, some are teachers, some are servants, and he goes on. So I want to read this for you, but don't get bogged down in the details. I want you to see the bigger picture of what's happening. Starting in verse 27 to the end of the chapter, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So this is the church. All of us together, working for something that is bigger than ourselves. You see, God has given all of these various gifts all of these various individuals to the church so that they might join together for the purposes of demonstrating Christ and his love. So that the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done can go to a community that desperately needs it. And then at the very end of the chapter, he says that there is still a more excellent way. There's still a more excellent way. What does he mean there's still a more excellent way. Well, the next chapter is 1 Corinthians 13, the famous chapter about love. What's the more excellent way? Love. Love. How are we going to handle the resignation of our senior pastor? Well, we're going to do it with love. We're going to continue loving God and living in the love that he has for each one of us. We're going to continue loving one another and living in the love that we have for each other. This is the excellent way forward, to love God and to love one another. So as I conclude, I just want to tell you something. If you're new here or maybe new to Christianity, even if you've been here a long time, I want you to know that the God of the universe loves you. He loves you. We have all sinned. We have all turned away from God. We have all chosen ourselves over him. And even though we are deserving of everlasting judgment, God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for the sins of anybody who will trust in him. That's all it takes. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and you will be forgiven of everything and you will be given eternal life. 
God invites you to trust in Jesus today, and he invites you to be a part of his unique and beautiful church. You in him and him in you, joining together to be a part of a people unlike any other group in the world. Joining together to be a part of a people who exist to exalt the name of Jesus Christ above every other name and to spread his gospel everywhere. This is who God is. This is who we are. And so I will tell you again, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Let us be glad in it. I'm I'm going to pray. The band's going to come on up. While they're singing songs, I'll be down here, just right here in the front row. If you want to chat about placing your faith and trust in Jesus, I would love to chat with you. If you want to chat about the church and what it looks like to be a part of the church, I would love to chat with you. Dan had all of the elders stand up at the beginning of our time. If you want to chat about literally anything, we are available. We are here for you. In the days to come, remember the more excellent way. Love God and love others. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We exalt you. We lift your name above every other name. It is our prayer that you will be enthroned upon our praises. God, we ask for your help. God, especially now, especially in the days moving forward, we ask for your help, that you will guard us, that you will protect us, keep us focused, keep us loving. God, if there's anybody here who hasn't placed their life in your hands, I pray that they would do so today. That they will be different. That they will feel the forgiveness that can only come from Jesus. God, do a great work amongst us this morning. God, I pray that you will keep us from division. That you will make us a beautiful and unique people. And we praise you because you are already doing that. We praise you for your design, Lord. God, may we spread the gospel. May we train one another in godliness. May we take care of the less fortunate. All for the glory of your name. Amen. Let's stand together, church.